everyone, welcome back to the Good News Scoop with me, Rebecca Dobbin Donaghy. I hope everyone has had a lovely week. To be honest, it actually feels like it's been over three weeks um, since I was last recording, since I was last talking to you, but maybe that's just me. Um, honestly, like, see when St. Patrick's Day or Christmas, literally, if anything happens in the middle of the week, I just completely lost track of everything that's going on in the world, and this has been no different, I think. So, once St. Patrick's Day was on a Wednesday and I thought it was Saturday and then I just didn't know what the day of the week it was anymore but that might just be me not being able to use my brain properly but anyway um this week I had the opportunity to talk with Shane Coleman. Shane's a third year law student here at Queen's but he is also very involved with the work of the Make-A-Wish Foundation here in the north. Um, We really covered an awful lot of ground here um, when we were chatting everything from student life to charity work, musical theatre and an awful lot in between um, all his fundraising work he's doing at the minute, his podcast so go get yourself a cup of tea or whatever you need to do, relax yourself, settle in and get ready for whatever direction this interview is about to take. Shane thank you so much for joining me in the show today, I'm so glad to have you on, how are you getting on? I'm doing the very best Rebecca, thank you very much for reaching out and bringing me on, excited, thank you. <laughs> problem at all um first of all you're my second queen student actually we've had on how's the whole uni um experience going this year uh i suppose you're just struggling on like the rest of us yeah there's not much else for it the queens or the uni experience this year has been completely mad it's a sort of mad and non-existent at the same time that even makes sense that's a pure contradiction but that is how it is it's mad in the fact that everything's online and it's non-existent and the fact that I haven't been down to Belfast this year. I yeah. was down to the start of September. I think I was in a dissertation lecture for like 45 minutes. And that's the only time I have been down to Queen's this academic year. So I'm missing that routine of heading down there two or three days a week and getting stuff done. And then with everything being online, I suppose one advantage is you can do it when you have the time to do it and fit it into your own slot. But on the other hand, it's easier to put it on the back biter as well when you have kids at home. Um, yeah. Obviously, myself, I'm a mature student, so I have a family at home as well. And house life and home life takes a bit of sorting out as well. Um, so with a balance of homeschooling for them and home learning for myself, it has been mad, to say the least. Yeah, no, I, com- I completely get that. And Shane, as you were saying there, like... um sure you won't mind me saying you're not exactly the normal demographic of what people would expect when they think of a uni student like you're a mature student uh, what notion do you take um I suppose at your age to say you know what I'll just go back I'll go I'll go to uni it's a whole lot easier when you're in the education system you know just plow on ahead um out of levels into uni but what notion do you take to after years of working to go go to uni again uh, that that is a question I'll be asked quite a lot, and it, it's very simple and straightforward. And when you speak of demographics, I don't mind saying it. I am now. Last week I turned forty-four, so um, the whole plan was when I set out five years ago. I thought, right, that hey, I'm forty-four. I'm going to graduate with a law degree out of Queens. That was the the aim. And I remember at the time I had started. Um, the Southwest College in Dungannon. I went up there to do an access course because I left school with three GCSEs. Yeah. And it was, it was science, 
um, technology and art. So they're all practical subjects, hands-on type subjects. Didn't leave school with maths or English. Um, repeated them and then lost interest halfway through and never finished them. And then just spent the next 20 years involved in the construction trade or jobs of manual labour. Something that there wasn't too many qualifications required for, but things just get a bit hot and heavy in the work scene. And then I thought to myself, am I going to do this for the next 20 years of my life? You know, heavy manual labour. And I thought it's time to diversify here and do something different. And I, felt, I also felt as well that academically I had completely underachieved and I had looked into different things like doing little um, courses in the CTS and Kalilin, um, doing English and miles courses and just to try and step up and get that GCSE and then the access course um, someone highlighted that to me I went up to the, the college in Dungannon and I'd done it and I set myself a five-year plan because the access course was part-time over two years and I was doing all the maths and I was thinking, right, um, at that time I was 38. Yeah. I went into the Southwest College and I thought five years, 43, it'll be 44 by the time I get around to graduating. That's a long way off. like. Yeah. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, if I don't do this, when four are you or five years' time, I'm still going to be 43, yeah. 44. So I just bit the bullet and I went for it. And I started the Southwest College in Dungannon, done my access course there, but it wasn't plain sailing because I hadn't been in a classroom in like 22 years. And going into that envir environment, it was tough going and riddled with self-doubt because the fact that I left school with three GCSEs and I'd done nothing in 22 years in terms of bettering my education, I started to ask myself, do I have the ability to do this? Yeah. And you're, there's assignments coming at you and you're looking at them and you're going, oh man, can I do this? And then you do take that stand and you do it. And once you do it and get a few good results back, you do, the self-confidence builds up and you just, you just uh, keep at it and keep it lit and get moving on with it, you know? Yeah, even there's just a wee bit of encouragement, I suppose, when you're out of the system that long. But um, even on that, like you were saying there, you had been working in manual labour. Your GCSEs that you had were all very hands-on. Um, why did you decide then, right, I'll study law and not, for example, um, construction or engineering or things like that at university that were maybe a bit more hands-on that you had maybe more experience in? Well, law always appealed to me because I grew up in a part of Tyrone which was no stranger to controversy over the years, you know, and without getting bogged down in the politics of it, like East Tyrone was like where the whole civil rights movement kicked off. And like I grew up in Arbo in the 1980s and 90s. And the just the injustices that I seen in society growing up as a young boy, um, injustice and social injustice also, um, being from an area of social deprivation and, to me, the system always seemed flawed. Now, I know I'm not going to come in and do a law degree and change the world, but when I grew up in the 80s and 90s in East Tyrone, and I was a part of that social injustice, and as time went on, I then thought that my generation were the last of that type of thing to go on and to happen. But 
I started getting involved in different wee projects with the youth um, and in some aspects of the charity um, world too. And I noticed that these injustices still exist today. But just because I'm not in that situation anymore, I don't see them. But because yeah. you don't see them doesn't mean they're not there. So I just always had an interest in, in, in the legal aspect of things and just helping some poor soul out. And if I can achieve something through a, a law career that changes one person's life for the better, well, then I'll have achieved my goal in life. And that's why the whole law thing appealed to me. Yeah, and is that sort of the path you're looking to go down, I suppose, post-graduation? Are you looking to do maybe more that human rights law aspect? I, I can't imagine you're going to work in corporate law, Shane, now, to be honest with you. No, corporate's not my thing. <laughs> corporate is something I think you have to be born for corporate. Yeah. I would like to go down the road of, of focusing on some human rights, <clears throat> excuse me, human rights work. Um, and, and another big interest I have to is children's law. And my dissertation is actually going to be about the age of criminal responsibility, the minimum age of criminal responsibility. Yeah. And I think that there's too many children out there <clears throat> that are fallen foul of the justice system at a very young age. And then what happens is once they're in there, it's like a hamster wheel. You it's just a vicious circle. They've been round and round and round. And I think children just aren't being afforded the proper legal representation. And I think more needs to be done. And I've been reading some reports from the Children's Law Centre and some of the statistics are scary. Um, and I think there needs to be a focus on rehabilitation as opposed to incarcerating children. Because um, then once you incarcerate them, this become part of the system then. And in one of the reports I was reading, there's actually an 89% re-offending rate among young offenders. Yeah, and that's shocking. So that, that shows you that the system is seriously flawed and that the rehabilitation process is failing the young people within that system. So if I could get even get into that type of thing and sort of fight the corner for those kids, you know, and once again, all those kids or the very vast majority of them are also coming from areas of social deprivation as well. Yeah, I suppose there's you know? the, a bit of yourself maybe in in them as well. Yeah, I, I can totally see where, where it just went parachute for them kids, you know what I mean? Yeah. They come to a fork in the road and they just choose the wrong path. And then there's a, the guess that says it's like a point of no return. So we need to be able to provide those kids with a plan B where they can go back to that fork in the road and make the correct decision the next yeah. time. Completely. Yeah, no, I, I, really, I really understand what you mean there. Um, it's it's something I've looked into a bit so far in my own course. It's, there, there really is a, a one path nearly or another. And once you're down one road, there seems to be very little return in a lot of cases. Um, but maybe on a completely different note, maybe we should have led with this actually as a wee bit of a disclaimer, Shane. We do actually know each other. Um, we both do a bit of acting. Um, most of my acting is acting that I can act. But um, I suppose you started into theatre in sort of the similar way that you started into university a wee bit later in life, like. I did, yeah. And six years ago was my first time I fed the boards. And it was a good a good mutual friend of our own, Mr. Cunningham, that uh, gave me that opportunity. And he has definitely um, been very influential in terms of my stage career, as you're aware yourself. And he's, he's taken me to places that I never would have been only for him. Like, I'm the same boat. 
we we have shared uh, stage the stage in the West End of London and the Hammersmith Apollo and the uh, the Armadillo in Glasgow and them experiences were just surreal and they're just they're magical and there's not even proper words to describe the yeah. feeling when when you're there. But yeah, six years ago, um, Jerry gave me a part in a in a musical for a local football club. And it's just sort of rolled on since then, you know. It just yeah. has spiraled on, so it hasn't really stopped. No, uh, I suppose it's one it's one of them things that um, acting's like a lot of things. Um, it's either for you or, for, or it isn't. And if it is for you, once you start, there's really there's really no stopping. Like, and you get the bug for it. And I was actually speaking to one of my fellow thespians a few weeks ago, Daggy McGrath, another person another you know, well through the stage. And we're talking about that whenever you finish a show or there's a run of a show, whether it be a musical or a play, and then it comes to the last night of the show. And then for the next two weeks after, you're like in a grieving process. Oh, it's like a death completely, yeah. <laughs> it is because you've been going to rehearsals two or three times a week. You've been having the crack with all your, your cast and crew. And then all of a sudden, come Tuesday night, oh, what was I meant to be doing the night? rehearsals oh there's none on there's none on and it is a grieving process but i've definitely loved all my time on stage and i've met some awesome awesome people and i've made friends for life and i was actually um met up with brian mills there on friday evening and we're talking about the first time we met and the first time i had seen him in a show and then the next time i met him was at a meeting for uh, the blood upon the rose musical yeah and he said to me the other day, he said, little do we know four or five years later would be best mates day. Yeah. And, and that's all down to theatre. And it's it's unbelievable. The outlet that it is there for people and the friends you make, it, it is totally it's surreal. Completely. It's it's definitely something I'm um, desperately missing now at the minute. But aside from the education and the acting like you're a busy man elsewhere you do quite a bit of charity work as well um you do a lot of work with make a wish and i'm sure a lot of people will have heard of that charity before but maybe for people who haven't could you give us just a wee rundown of what that is and what actually you do within the charity yeah um i make a wish as a charity is very very close to my heart and i've been involved with them for a long time um i've been involved with them now for about 14 years and Make-A-Wish was founded in the 1980s um, in Arizona. There was a young kid called Chris Christopher and he was um, going through treatment for leukemia and he had always dreamed about becoming a police officer and there's a few people got together at that time in his local community and for the day he became a police officer they swore him in as an honorary public safety officer. It was the first time in the history of the state. And he was out in the police helicopter. He was with a motorcycle cops and all that day. And that was how Make-A-Wish was founded. So yeah. the, guy that, the guy that done that way, so that day then went on to grant wishes for other kids. And then it just grew from there. And yeah. now Make-A-Wish is an international organization. And and even from that, um, how did how did you actually get involved in it then? Well, I had been doing a lot of fundraising and a lot of mountain tracking and stuff for charities, and I'd raised money for Marie Curie and for the Ulster Cancer Focus and things like that. And then I decided the next year anything I was going to do the next year was going to be for a children's charity. Yeah. 
And I knew there was a charity out there that granted wishes for kids who weren't well, like who had serious and critical illnesses. And I come across Make a Wish, and that was the charity that I was thinking. So I contacted them. And I had a 30th birthday party. And I said that I didn't want any presents or cards. Anybody coming could put a donation in a box. Yeah. And I'd give it a Make a Wish. And that's what I done. And on that night, I raised 750 pounds and I sent it off to make a wish. And I told them that if they ever needed any volunteers or they need to hand anything to give me a shout, I was more than willing yeah. to put my shoulder to the wheel. And lo and behold, very short time later, I got a call from them to ask if I could assist in a bucket collection. And I'll never forget it. It was in Banbridge at the outlet. And I put 20 quid of diesel in the car and I drove up to Banbridge and I stood all day in the freezing cold and I raised 19 quid. Yeah. So <laughs> it's thankless. And I better giving him the 20 quid that I put in for diesel and staying at home. But that was how it started off. And I met a, a young lady there called Breach and she was a Make-A-Wish um, wish visitor. And she told me all about the wish visiting and says, you need to come and join us and become a wish visitor. Yeah. And that's what I done. And I, I signed up and I went and I done my training to become a wish visitor. And in that role, you would go out to the kids' family, out to their family home, and you would have a chat with the kids and the parents. And that's when you start laying down the foundations of a wish, where you ask them their interests, the, their likes, what they're after. And then that big question is, what would you like to wish What's for? What's your wish? Yeah. And that is the process of a, a wish visitor. And I've done that. And it was just, it was great crack and you didn't look at the the whole medical aspect of it you kept it positive and focused mm. on what the kid wanted now yeah. it took me away to get into that mode because i remember the first two or three wishes i'd done they were very very tough one of them was a kid i am um, a kid at five and he had cancer and he'd lost his hair to his treatment and i remember sitting with another volunteer in that wish visit and I got that big lump in my throat. Yeah. It's a tough one to take. Like, Yeah, if someone went to talk to you or speak to you and you had a reply, you would probably start crying because that big lump in your throat, you know, it's that feel of emotion. And I had to sort of reassess the whole approach and say to myself, right, it's not your job to get emotion here. You have a Mm -hmm. different role to carry out. So let's go in there and let's carry it out. Let's be positive and let's give this family and this kid something to look forward to. Yeah, and that was my approach then. So it was one hundred percent positive, positive, positive from there on in, and I just kept building on that. And then as the years went on, um, I started sharing my experiences with Make a Wish with new volunteers. Yeah, and then Make a Wish appointed me as the Wish Visitor Trainer for the North here. So anyone that joins Make a Wish now in this part of the world has the luxury of me being their wish visitor trainer. So the crack's always good at them sessions. Um, so I do that and then I try and just have volunteers with simple things. And if they ever have any questions or queries, they just contact me and I mentor them through the whole whole journey as a volunteer and just have them with little things like how to build, you know, rapport with the family before you arrive at the house. And yeah. Just to make people feel at ease and just make it informal and fun. I suppose it's nearly, it's sort of like the acting. It's one of them things once the ball starts rolling, there's, 
it's it's very hard to get out of that if that's something you're enjoying doing like as like you were saying once you started you started collecting buckets like and just build it up and up and up until now you're teaching all people to be doing um yeah stuff like it it is something that does you do get the bug again but the only reason you get the bug is because you meet so many inspirational young people yeah like I have met kids, like I, I remember one visit in particular. It was a young girl, she was 10 years old, and she totally blew me away. It was unbelievable. She was 10 years old, and her prognosis wasn't good. It was three to six months. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember um, we would always do like a pre-visit phone call to the family. Okay. And I, I would always finish the conversation on the phone with, have you any questions you'd like to ask me prior to our arrival? Yeah. And the mother's main concern, and rightly so, she asked me, would I be asking any questions in relation to the child's prognosis? And I was like, definitely, definitely not. Not a chance. That is not what I'm there about. I'm there about sorting out a wish. Mm -hmm. Let that be mentioned. I said it'll be a very informal process. Well, a bit of crack. If you want to make a cup of tea, I'll take it. And we'll have a laugh and a joke. and We'll make it as enjoyable as possible. And I went and I done the wish. She was 10 years old and she was a massive J.K. Rowling fan. And the lady that accompanied me in that visit asked um, the little girl about the Harry Potter books. And she had read every Harry Potter book at 10 years old. And one thing that stuck out in that visit was whenever she was asked what did she prefer, the books or the films, she said she preferred the books. Yeah, it's not a 10-year-old answer like it. So, so that, that, that's not what I was expecting to hear. So it gave you an idea of the her ability to be, you know, creative and artistic within her own mind when she was reading them books where she yeah. could play out the scenes, that it was more enjoyable than a Hollywood blockbuster. And she told me when she grew up that she wanted to be a writer because she loved reading books and they made her happy, and she wanted to make other children happy. Yeah. This is a 10-year-old telling me this here. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot more and thought process than probably I would have it a lot of times. Like It was un- unbelievable. Two hours that visit lasted, and it was so it was so inspirational. And I came out of that, that house that night, and I was blown away, and I never forgot that child. Yeah. And that was in March. And she went to Disneyland Paris like three weeks later, and then she passed away in June. Mm-hmm. And when you get the word back that one of the kids you've been the wish visitor for has passed away, it is it's like being hit a sucker punch. Yeah, so very hard to take. Like, but the inspiration I got from that child and just how articulate she was, mm-hmm. it just blew me away. And those are the things that fuel you and fill you with passion to go on yeah. and do what you're doing for other kids. You know, yeah. so it doesn't take much motivation. Yeah, I completely get what you mean. And like, how how is that working at the minute? Um, I suppose you, the wish granting, you, there isn't really the process. You can't go to people's houses and stuff at the minute. So what, what are you actually doing now during the pandemic? Well, as a matter of fact, the pandemic has sort of really hit us hard in the past year and a yeah. half because... Um, we had to start cancelling wishes last year around March time. Yeah. And 
we had to put 2,000 wishes on hold. 2,000 is quite a bit. Yeah, so, it really is. And um, especially when, I suppose, unfortunately, it is the case in a lot of your situations that there are time sensitive. Like, um, and yeah. a lot of the wishes are probably like that, that young girl. A lot of children are looking to maybe go to Disneyland or something, um, like yeah. travel based wishes. It's very, I, I don't know how, what, what way you work around that. Yeah, well, look, it's it, the, the vast majority of our wishes are travel wishes. Mm hmm. It could be Disneyland, it could be Legoland. Um, like we we had we had actually reopened up the Disney World Florida wishes again. Yeah. So that that all had to be knocked in the head. And normally normally our wishes fall into four categories, and it's normally they want to go somewhere, they want to they want to meet someone, and mm -hmm. um, they want to be something, princess, whatever, or they want to um, have laptop, computer, or bicycle. And we have tried now to offer kids an alternative. Yeah. And if it's something that we can give them, um, by all means, that'll be fast tracked immediately. And we still do. We still are letting um, people choose that travel wish if they have the, um, if they have the, if they can't wait. You know, yeah. another way, as as you said, is some of it is time sensitive. Like we would have rush visits that need to be acted on immediately because unfortunately the child doesn't have that much time left. Mm -hmm. But in some of the cases where, where they, they do have that luxury, um, some have opted to wait, you know, maybe next year or two years yeah. time. But it definitely hasn't made our job easy now. And it's just material wishes we can do now. Um, some of the meat wishes we have been unfortunate enough that some of the celebrities that we would work with have done Zoom calls with some of the yeah. kids. So that was good as well. It's that personal touch to it. Um, but in terms of travel, a lot of the travel wishes are, will be suspended for at least another year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so no. We're I... to do it, we can. Um, the wish visits were completely suspended, but thankfully, in the last month or so, we have started the wish visits again, although albeit in a virtual sense. Yeah. Um, thanks to the world of face-to-face -face video conversations. So we're getting back out there slowly but surely, and. Hopefully, with the lift of restrictions, we'll get back out of it again and get out fundraising again because our fundraising has took a serious hit. Yeah, oh, definitely, a hundred percent. And I suppose on the same vein, you're you're actually carrying out a fundraiser yourself at the minute. That's for for a different charity, um, for Macmillan. Um, so I suppose for for the uninitiated amongst our listeners, who are the Owl Hands and what is that? <laughs> well. In, in terms of the Macmillan thing, yes, we are doing a 26 mile hike, myself and a few friends, and we call ourselves the Isle of Hands. So the Isle of Hands is more or less myself, Jackie McGrath, and Brian Mills. And in the absence of theatre, we started tromping around the roads and forests and doing an odd mountain track. Now we're totally unfit and overweight, and we definitely got it tight at the start. <laughs> We said, lads, we need to keep at this crack here because uh, this lockdown is doing us no favours. Well, we're getting a very tough walking past the fridge, things like that. So as you can imagine, the pounds were piling on and there wasn't much happening and we weren't getting out for our Tuesday or Thursday night rehearsals for a show. So we started walking the roads and then I thought we need something to work towards here, an incentive to keep us at it. Because it's too easy to say I'm not bothered this evening or I can leave Hi. it the next week. So 
the Macmillan Mighty Hike is on on the 26th of June and it's along the Causeway Coast. It's going from Kerrigareed Rope Bridge up past the Giants Causeway and Bush Mills and Port Rush, Port Stewart before finishing off in, in uh, Coleraine. And I had done a Macmillan hike in 2017 with my sister, two sisters and a brother. And the reason I done it back then was because my sister Andrea had cervical cancer. And it comes a big shock to our family. And I remember the day that she told she got the phone call to go down to the hospital and bring someone with her. So we knew it wasn't going to be good yeah. news when that's the sort of when they're telling you to bring someone with you. So she went down, she was diagnosed with cervical cancer, and then within a few weeks, she was getting ready for surgery. And I went down to her house in the morning of her surgery just to give her a big hug and say, good luck, and I'll see you on the other side when you come out of it. But when I was in the house, she got a phone call, and she had the conversation on the phone, and she got off the phone, and she said to me, only for them, I don't know what I'd have done. Mm -hmm. So I says, only for who? She says, Macmillan. So Macmillan had been on the phone to her, and they were just giving her all financial advice. You know, she had a mortgage. She was going to be off work. And they gave her a lot of emotional support. And they just, they were amazing in every sense of the word. And I said to her, well, you know what you do? Get you down the road. Get your surgery. Come out of this. Let's get the all clear. And let's raise money for Macmillan. Yeah. And she said, I'm up for that. So she got the all clear about four to six weeks later. And I went home and I started searching the web for fundraising um, possibilities. And I seen a mighty marathon hike in the Peak District in England. Mm -hmm. So I signed up and I registered. And I sent Andrea the link and I says, get you on that link and sign up. So myself and Andrea and my other sister and a brother signed up and away we went and we done the 20s. It was actually 27 mile that one. And we raised in around eight thousand pounds. Amazing. So yeah. That's how we got in with McMillan in the first place was because of Andrea's um cervical cancer diagnosis and all clear then afterwards. But she said to me a couple of months ago, um, you should do that heck with us for a bit of crack. But when we done the first one, we thought never again. I once was too many there. times. <laughs> yeah, it, it was tough going. There's no doubt about it. It was tough. And Andrea said she would never do it again. But Andrea then has sort of became a bit of a fitness fanatic in the last couple of years. Um, and I suppose that's all part of her journey of overcoming cancer too. Yeah. And I says, I'm not. But me and the Earl Hans were out down there one night. And I said to the Earl Hans, please, what about taking on this 26-mile hike? Now, the last thing I expected was the two boys to say, yeah, I'll do that. Aye. I think I just was sort of playing, paying them a bit of lip service just to say, yeah, let's, I've made a suggestion, but you don't have to go don't for it. Don't know carrying through, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they goes, I went up to that. So I went home and I registered that night and I sent the link to them. And uh, by all means, they signed up as well. So with no option, I only to get ready for it. But uh, we've yes. had good fun along the way and um, we set up an Isle Hands Facebook page and it has picked up momentum as well with over 600 followers and donations have been flowing in and we have over £1,500 raised already. 
I, I'd actually, I'd seen that on your Just Given page, checked that earlier on and I completely would agree with you on that. Um, anybody that has any money to spare at all, head over the, your page there and give a few pound. Macmillan is an unbelievable charity. We've had experience with them ourselves as a family and like any money you have, um, go on ahead over to your page and donate whatever you've got. But um, I suppose sort of in conjunction, um, with the with the owl hands and with the fundraiser it's said a lot of, recently i've heard every man and his dog has a podcast at this stage and i suppose both of us now fall into that category um so <laughs> for for better or for worse um you you're recording the dander cast at the minute um so what is that um for anyone well, that hasn't been listening dander cast is the that was um Declan McGrath come up with that there. Declan McGrath is one of the old hands. Um, but McGrath said to me many times, we need to do an old podcast. And me and him and Millsy be out walking and some of the conversations we have, you know, if, if people heard them, there's some crack. Like we cover, <laughs> we cover some topics when we're out walking. And there's no time we'd have come back to the car after going for a walk. And McGrath would have said, we should have recorded that the night, boys. That was good crack. And there was one morning, or he texts me one evening, and he says to me, can you be down the lane at 8 o'clock in the morning? This is the, the canal in Kalilin. Yeah. And I says, what are we doing? He says, we're going, we're going to do a podcast. I goes, right. So I said, What's, what are we doing? He says, I'm not telling you. So he wouldn't tell me, but he just says, be down at 8 o'clock. So I go down at 8 o'clock in the morning, and me and him go down there. And it's him interviewing me. The tidy enough situation. <laughs> him interviewing me, and I'm like, what? <laughs> He says to me, I mean, you have a good story to tell, and I'm going, do it, really? Like, but he says, well, this is it. This is the one to get the ball rolling. So we went for a dander, and then he gave it the name Dandercast. And then at the very end, he pulls out a guitar and was singing a song, and we messed about. And that was how it started. And he put it up. He, he published it, and I was like, oh, I'm not so sure about it, you know. And then a few people commented and phoned me up and said it was an enjoyable listen. Which you're always going to be sore in yourself <clears throat> anyway. Yeah. And whenever people start giving you good feedback, then you, it's like the university thing. You start to be a bit self I maybe can do this, yeah. Yeah. And then we talked about different um, guests to take on to the podcast. And I, I interviewed Tommy Carr, who was an Olympic boxer in the 80s from Clano. And then Dak has interviewed Mark Shields, a local playwright actor school teacher and great crack and we're just building on that and we are getting a bit of a following as well and people are asking us when the next one's coming out so it must be sort of okay and it, it must be dead on yeah and no, okay and a dead on will do me like that's 100 percent. no completely like i've been listening to it myself and like you were saying there it is a case of us we're all missing a bit of social contact at the minute like and you want to be out having a chat with your friends and I suppose that that is sort of what it's like it really it literally is you're out for a walk and recording That's whatever you are talking about and cracking out a guitar at the end isn't actually <laughs> in the context of the whole thing isn't that mad <laughs> like well, um, it, it was a bit mad because of the fact we were we were down the, the line side as we talk about in Clown uh-huh. as, as I walked down along the canal and there's me and McGrath at like half eight on like a Wednesday morning and him blasting away the guitar and me letting rip for the streets of New York. It's a wee bit crazy for anybody coming walking up the street like 
one of these two headers doing it half eight in the morning. <laughs> I know, start questioning a few things, like, but no, definitely, it's 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 well worth the listen. Listen, and you'd actually said to me earlier in the week. I don't know if this is still the case, but you were recording an episode this morning. There were you? Um, no, I've. Uh, I was to to meet now. Yeah, to record another episode, but we'll just we'll put it back for now a couple of days because he's mm-hmm. he's not available. Um, so I'm hoping to get that done now in the next day or two. And we're we're going to try and get one out every week. Aye. Um, just to keep a bit of consistency in it, you know. But we'll have some some pretty uh, good guests lined up, and I'm not revealed too much at the moment. You'll just have to tune in sometime and hear them. Oh, so but no we'll, spoilers for anybody that's on the edge of their seats waiting, <laughs> waiting on no, the next there, episode. there's very few sit on the edge of their seats. <laughs> but we'll be covering a whole whole wide range of topics. You know, we're covering theatre, sports, um, with a couple coming up now in relation to health and well-being, um, with good guests with personal experiences. So we're looking forward to those and gets a shout out. And if anybody has any ideas they want to throw our way, by all means. Yeah, but everything in there, like. Yeah, you gotta be. It's gotta be a bit everything. That no, it's it's well worth the listen. So, um, I suppose just just an extra wee reminder, maybe. Um, work in the find you on social media, and work in the donate to Macmillan, and listen to Dondercast and anything else that's going on. Well, we have a one hat fits all type page there at the moment, and it is called the Owl Hands, and it's, it's spelled O U L, and then Hands is just H A N S. And if you go onto Facebook and give us a search, you will find us there. And on that page, we sort of like document our walks and our journeys as we go along. And we try to do a big walk every weekend, whether it be to a forest park or a mountain region. And we sort of put up photographs and we tend to go live now and again as well when we're halfway up a hill. Which is always quality content. like. <laughs> well, <laughs> some people... Be a different opinion there, but we tend to go live and everything's just off the cuff, and you wouldn't know what's going to come out or what's be said. Yeah. Um, and with the type of gaze, we don't really have too many filters, like we just go with whatever. Mm-hmm. So we do that to keep people up to date, and we like to give people a wee mention. And if anybody has anything else they want to throw out there, um, we'd happily share it on our page because if you're fortunate enough to have a platform, you might as well use it. And today. Um, our big push today is for World Down Syndrome Day. So I'm trying to get people to wear their different their coloured socks. socks. And, you know, let's raise awareness about um, Down Syndrome because I have a lot of very good friends um, who are Down Syndrome. And I've got there's some kids out there that I just totally adore. And whether the kids are friends or friends I have made myself over the years, down syndrome and you wouldn't be without them in this world yeah and i think it's great if we can all raise awareness and wear our multicolored and odd socks throughout the day or even any day it doesn't have to be today i've been wearing them all last week and today <laughs> yeah. so if you see us walking around the roads and our socks up over our trousers and their different colors don't ask questions <laughs> you know what the story is <laughs> so, similar to that he's playing the guitar down the line at half eight in the Wednesday morning it's just don't oh, ask man. questions <laughs> you just get just, on just, just shake your head and just keep walking <laughs> <laughs> no that's brilliant Shane thank you so much for joining me on the show today it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on thank you very much for having me that was brilliant I enjoyed that well as usual we're going to have a quick wee thought for the week uh, I've had a lot of uni work to do this week, so 
obviously I was doing what I do best and completely ignoring it and watching Netflix instead. So Claudia Savage, um, host of the Trendy Scoop, if you're listening, I'm about to lose you your job and recommend a show I've been watching. I've been watching Parks and Rec, uh, Parks and Recreation, sorry, at the minute give it its full title which is made by the same people who make the US office so if you loved it you'll also love this but anyway more importantly while I was watching it in a number of the episodes they chatted about my favorite thing in the world and that is self-love and how they were doing it was very simple treating yourself once a year Donna and I spend a day treating ourselves what do we treat ourselves to Clothes. Treat yourself. Fragrances. Treat yourself. Massages. Treat yourself. Mimosas. Treat yourself. Fine leather goods. Treat yourself. It's the best day of the year. The best day of the year! Right, you definitely don't need to go for as intense of a day of treating yourself as Donna and Tom do. Or maybe you do. If you have the funds to go treat yourself to clothes and fine leather goods, you go for it. Um, But honestly, like it's been a rough year for all of us and... The best thing we can do for ourselves at times is just to let yourself enjoy what we love doing or give yourselves an extra wee treat every so often, especially now. I think most of us have been flat out with coursework um, and we've been, we're going off on our Easter holidays now for the next few weeks. So what I'm going to do and what you should do as well is treat yourself. And like that can be doing something as simple as giving yourself a wee break, let yourself relax and just don't be so stressed for five minutes. What if that's uni that's getting you stressed out or lots of things, there's a lot of things worrying a lot of people at the minute, but um, give yourself a wee bit of space. Um, like Giving yourself that space could be as good a way of treating yourself as buying a new pair of shoes or something. Though in saying that, the student loan is coming in again, so there might be shoes as well. Maybe both's a good idea. Um, but yeah, that's my message for you this week. Give yourself a wee break. The evenings are getting brighter. Get yourself out for a wee walk. Give yourself a bit of space. Reward yourself for what you've been doing recently. Just treat yourself. Well, that's about all we have time for on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again to Shane for joining me on the show. And of course, as usual, to Joe for being a legend and doing my tech. Um, I usually say I'll chat to you next week, but we're actually taking a few weeks off for Easter break. Um, so I'll not see you again. I think I've had three weeks off. Um, but as usual, if you've anything you want to chat to me about or anything you think I should cover on the show, you'll still be able to get me on social media, so don't hesitate to shoot me a message. Um, but thanks again for listening. My name is Rebecca Dom Donaghy, and this has been the Good News Scoop. See you again soon. <laughs>